August 9th, 2007. It's a day which should live in infamy, but 16 years later, hardly anyone knows what happened that day or why it remains so significant 16 years later. It was a day in which the world stopped. And it sounds like clickbait. It sounds like it gross, I'm grossly exaggerating, but everything that we know, everything that we see, all of it points back to August of 2007. It was a sea change, a paradigm shift. The economy, the monetary system that we knew before then stopped being what it was and it became something else entirely. We are living in the shadows of August 9th, 2007, whether we realize it or not. And much of what has happened since then has been, its purpose is to get us to not realize we're living in the shadows, especially in, on August 9th, 2023, where we're at risk of reigniting the banking crisis. And I'll get to that later on. What happened on August 9th, 2007? Well, here, here's what I wrote on August 8th, 2014, so almost a decade ago and partway in between. To dryly observe what happened understates the severity of the event as London trading for dollars saw an inordinate discrepancy that cannot be fully comprehended by mere factual recollection. On August 9th, 2007, three-month LIBOR rose from 5.38% to 5.5% a trivial number at first glance. But in the context of global dollar flow, it was an immense tremor that kicked off a spate of emergency monetary measures that ultimately followed. And how did those emergency monetary measures perform? Well, if you any, any standard for performance comes from those who issued and, and executed those monetary measures themselves. The Federal Reserve, the ECB, all the central banks around the world have been left to self-evaluate their programs. And in doing so, we've left off a whole chunk of information that is relevant to how things unfolded, not just in 2007 into 2008. Why was there a crisis to begin with? These, were so, these programs are so effective, but more so living in the aftermath that has stretched on interminably, interminably now over a decade and a half later. Among those emergency programs was something called the term auction facility, which was supposed to be a replacement for the discount window or primary credit because that wasn't working. And so was established very early on in the 2008 crisis, this August 9th, 2007 aftermath where the Federal Reserve has to invent new tools in order to try to deal with a burgeoning an unfixable situation that no matter what they did only seemed to get worse. Now let's unpack everything that happened on August 9th, 2007 and how that applies to August 9th, 2023. Some bad news from Moody's about banks and what does that mean in the context of everything that we've been talking about, especially recently. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University, we've got memberships and research subscriptions available. There's an anniversary sale going on where you get benefits, sale prices on memberships, as well as the research subscriptions. The memberships are exactly what we're going to talk about today, the Eurodollar system, what it is, how it functions, why it stopped functioning, and member uh, research subscriptions. That's, that's the daily briefing I put together that talks about what's going on today in the macro and money world. And then there's the deep dive analysis where we dive deep into all of these money and macro topics, where they come together, how they're troubling our current period, what's going on right now, and what it means for the bigger picture. All the information, including the sales, at our website, eurodollar.university.
So the spike in lab LIBOR, labor, the spike, the, the, the spike to labor came after, because that's how deflation works. The spike in LIBOR on August 9th, 2007 was precipitated by a couple of different events, but it kicked off at 1.44 in the morning Eastern time. So over in Europe, um, BNP Paribas put out a press release that stated they were no longer able to value three of their money market funds. Not only were they not able to value their money market funds, they couldn't, they couldn't calculate the net asset value. This was actually the third day in a row they were unable to value money market funds. But these were no simple money market funds as you might think of. You might think of a simple US dollar money market. No, no, no. These things were, these things were absolutely representative of everything about the global euro dollar system and what it really means and how it actually gets put together. And therefore, how, how it sometimes, it doesn't function the way you might think it does or how it's supposed to function. The names of those funds were the BNP Paribas ABS Euriber Fund, the BNP Paribas ABS Eonia Fund, and the Parves ABS Dynamic Fund. And what these funds were, they were essentially European money market funds that were domiciled in France and Liechtenstein. They were sponsored by a French bank invested primarily in US dollar ABS related securities in order to beat Euro, or Euro denominated money market interest rates. This had nothing to do with geography. We all think the dollar is a US dollar thing. Here we have European money markets invested in this esoteric stuff in order to get US dollar returns to beat Euro denominated benchmark, benchmark rates and benchmarks. Global banking. The monetary system was far more complicated than what we've ever been told. That was the lesson straight away from August 9, 2007. This isn't so easy as the Fed just prints money and everything is fine. And the Fed tried to, tried to respond to the growing liquidity, monetary, not financial, monetary crisis that was represented in that splash in LIBOR, which 12 basis points at that point in time, it was an enormous tremor across the Euro dollars world. And the Fed said, well, we're gonna lower the discount rate because we don't really know what else to do. That didn't work. Then they lowered the federal funds target by 50 basis points in September, 2007. That didn't work. And so by December, they thought we need to invent some new tools because nothing we're doing is working. And among the tools they invented first was the overseas dollar swaps, which to this day, people think is terrific when it doesn't really do much. And the other thing was the term auction facility. In December 2007, they introduced a term auction facility, which essentially allowed banks, including the, the US branches of foreign, foreign parent banks to bid for US dollar funds without having to go through primary credit or the discount window. Long story short, how did it work out? The TAF, this term auction facility, it was terrific, right? Well, according to the Federal Reserve, it was, it was absolutely effective. And you can find a couple different studies. I'm gonna reference one from October 2011 called, did the, did the Fed's term auction facility work? And their conclusion was this. Our analysis shows that the LIBOR OIS spread decreased on TAF event days, defined either as days when there was an announcement about the program or days when there was a TAF auction or some other operation. We find that the average decrease in the LIBOR OIS spread was, wait for it, wait for it, two basis points per event. Two. Two. That's how effective it was. In other words, it was basically indistinguishable from zero. 
But they say this is statistically significant, and the whole purpose behind this study is so that you believe the Fed is effective. Because Ben Bernanke or Jay Powell with later tools can get in front of the cameras and he can say, our studies back up the fact that our programs did have a positive effect. What he won't tell you is that it was only two basis point in that study. And if you actually look at the data, and I'm showing you the chart here that was prepared by the study, you can see there's very little correlation whatsoever because the LIBOR OIS spread surged August 9th, 2007, and then it went way up and came down in early 2000. It went way back up again as if the TAF auctions had no impact, overseas dollar swaps too, along with the rate, uh, rate cuts in between. Nothing the Fed did seemed to make any permanent difference. And that's the point here. But Jay Powell, like Ben Bernanke can say, we have a study that shows it's statistically significant effects. They're just two basis points. They don't tell you that. Same with QE and everything else the Fed does. So we evaluate August 9, 2007, the TAF auctions, the overseas dollar swaps, quantitative easing, all of these programs, including the new tools the Fed just invented earlier this year. Because remember, before March of 2023, they thought everything is fine. The economy's resilient. Banks, there's nothing wrong. Oh, there is something wrong with banks. They never see this coming. And they always say we have the tools to be prepared for this type of eventuality. In fact, they said, the Jay Powell said as much just last fall. And then when it happens, they have to invent new tools, which should already ring your alarm bells here. Just like in 2007, 2008, the only reason they're inventing new tools is because they realize all the tools in the, that were existing in the toolkit aren't having the effect that they're supposed to. The reason they invented the TAF auctions in December 2007 was because the prior efforts that they had tried initially just were having no impact whatsoever. Even if we didn't see banks failing, that didn't mean they were actually effective. Even the studies show they're not. They're not really effective. The Fed tool that was invented this year, of course, the BTFP, the Bank Term Funding Program, as of the last weekly data we got for last week, that was at a record high. It continues to rise, and now it's almost $106 billion. And we have to ask ourselves, why? For most people, it's like evaluating the 2008 crisis. It seems like it must be a fact. The more the banks are using it, that must be a good sign, right? Because banks have an, uh, have an option, a liquidity option of going to the Federal Reserve in some way or another, and that will simply calm everything down. It will, it will mean that banks won't be forced into their worst case scenarios. Except we got a little bit of a shock yesterday from Moody's. It's too bad it wasn't today because that would have been just a little bit too on the nose you know, the 16th anniversary, Moody's was downgrading banks here in the U.S., in particular the ones that we've been talking about. And what Moody's said was very reminiscent of what was said in the early stages of 2007-2008. Now, just to be clear, we're not making direct comparisons here. We're not saying that the 2008 crisis is going to repeat because it's not going to repeat. Nothing ever will repeat. But that doesn't mean that we have the same general problem, or we don't have the same general problems today that we did back in August in 2007 and forward. We still have the same big problem, which is the Federal Reserve doesn't know what it's doing. They don't really understand the monetary system. 
They're looking at everything through their worldview, which is outdated by about eight or nine decades. That's why they have to continue to invent new tools all the time. And that's why they have to try to sell the public on their efforts. Because what they're really trying to do is say, don't worry about all this monetary stuff. It's really simple and easy. We're doing a bunch of stuff over here. You don't need to know the details. We're going to tell you that, it, that, the, that the successes of those programs are significant, but we're not going to tell you how significant. It's all a distraction to get you to look at other things and just go back to normal. Think that everything is fine and covered by these complicated esoteric uh, efforts that are put together by the best, best and brightest that we have. And it's all just to sell you on that narrative. That's why we look at August 9, 2007. And that's why we look at the aftermath of August 2007 and say, things have never really changed on that account. The BTFP, is that really an effective program? Or is it really an effective PR effort aimed at getting people to forget about the banking system? Which is why Moody's downgrading U.S. banks yesterday must have been a particularly unwelcome event at the Federal Reserve and really around the rest of the world too because we still have a banking crisis even if, even if we haven't seen any banks fail lately. Although there was that one a couple weeks ago, PacWest, it wasn't necessarily a failure but it was close to, a, it was on the brink of failure. So the banking crisis is still there. The Fed is still with its new tools telling everything's fine, but we have lessons to learn. And we have the words of Moody's to go by. What they said was, meanwhile, many banks' second quarter results showed growing profitability pressures that will reduce their ability to generate internal capital. Big deal. This comes as a mild U.S. recession is on the horizon for early 2024, and asset quality looks set to decline from solid but unsustainable levels, maybe they weren't so solid, with particular risks in some banks' commercial real estate portfolios. Yes, some banks, basically the majority of banks, just not the big ones. So that's, the, that's a key difference, 2008 versus 2023. We're not looking at J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs or Citigroup. We're looking at a different class of banks who have none of the advantages that those banks have and have built in over the last 16 years. Moody's continues, risks may be more pronounced if U.S. enters a recession, which we expect will happen in early 2024, because asset quality will worsen and increase the potential for capital erosion. We don't care about capital erosion. Capital erosion means absolutely nothing. Capital ratios tell us nothing, just like the liquidity ratios and everything that were invented in the aftermath of 2008. All of it is nothing more than window dressing. It's all meant to get you to look at these numbers, these shiny objects over here, and not think too hard about what's actually going on in the banking system, in the monetary system that's causing banks to do all of these things that lead to capital erosion. That's really the issue here. Capital ratios, any faith in them is misplaced, and any using them as, as, a, as a primary tool for analysis is going to lead you down the wrong path. And what Moody's is actually saying here by talking about capital ratios, they're, they're just using their own language and their own jargon. They're speaking their own language here. What they're really saying is that there's problems here that will eventually be seen in a very public way by how it impacts capital ratios. So the capital ratios themselves aren't the issue. It's all of the stuff that happens preceding the problems that hit the capital ratios. Capital ratios are gonna decline because of everything else 
that's going on, including a U.S. recession. Because U.S. recession plus commercial real estate, that could get particularly nasty, particularly messy. We know this. But we have the BTFP and the Fed standing by to bail it all out should it go the wrong way. That's what they're going to tell us. And they're going to tell us we have programs that have been successful in the past. We know what we're doing. We can do it. We've got the studies that show it. Two basis points. We continue to expect a mild recession in early 2024, and given the funding strains on the U.S. banking sector, there will likely be a tightening of credit conditions and rising loan losses for U.S. banks. Thus, Moody said yesterday, we have to take a second look at the banking sector. We're going to downgrade some banks. We're going to put some banks on negative watch, including some of the bigger regional banks like Truist. And they're going to, they're going to monitor the situation because... A mild recession, especially with a banking problem, can quickly become something more than a mild recession. And the banking problem can make the mild recession become even worse, which makes the banking problem worse. And we get into the, the same self-reinforcing downward spiral that happened right in the aftermath of August 9th, 2007. But here's the thing. It took how many months for the for policymakers, for the public, for academics, for really the financial, everybody, for everybody to realize just how much trouble we were in. August 9, 2007 was a year before Lehman Brothers and AIG. It was a year before everyone would admit without question that we're, there was even a recession. Up until that point, most people thought just a minor downturn, maybe a mild recession at the worst. The Fed had already moved on into thinking about rate hikes in later 2008 because they believed their own PR mess. The Fed, BTFP, August 9, 2007, banking problems, these are all related. We're still stuck with the same issues as 16 years ago. And now they're coming back to the forefront all again as we're looking at nothing more than a mild recession. Except the lesson of August 9, 2007 is it's not that easy. If you want to see more about just how ridiculously underwhelming the Fed's programs are and why that is, check out the video at the link below me. As always, thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, Eurodollar University members. Until next time. Everybody take care.